You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Mess around. We don't waste time. Over here at his hard line. Let's go. Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Welcome to the show. Let's get started. 
good day to all you ladies and gentlemen out there. I am Jason, your co-host with our sovereign Lord and Savior Christ Jesus at our side because he is the host with the most and the most high. He is in charge. He is in the captain's chair. He's at the helm and behind the wheel. Therefore, he is steering this great ship through these crazy rough waters and this storm of life that we call life. So welcome to His Hard Line. Today is Monday. December 18, 2023, and you are listening to episode 652, and we'll be doing a reading out of Matthew chapter 10, and we will continue the missing 13th amendment, so this will be part 4. Daily disclaimer, please be advised that I am not a doctor, holistic health expert, financial advisor, biblical scholar, or bar lawyer, and I do not possess any titles of nobility or offer legal advice. And while I am a member of the Michigan General Journal Assembly in good lawful standing, I am not the official face or voice of the National State or County Assembly, and I do not endorse... Or advocate for violence, and please note that the opinions, thoughts, and statements expressed on this platform are solely my own and for educational and entertainment purposes, unless otherwise referenced. So there you all go. So thank you for joining the show today. Today's broadcast, really appreciate that. If you find extreme value in what we offer over here and take away solid information, take away a good positive message, and just overall, you just like coming over here just to kind of pass some time, hit that subscribe button, share this with your friends, family, and colleagues, and I also want to invite you over there on YouTube, Telegram, True Social, and other platforms that we have uh, official accounts. You can find all those resources at hishardline.com. That's hishardline.com. All right. Let me just take a sip of water before the music ends. happy Monday, everybody. Happy, happy Monday. So my wife sent me this, uh, this TikTok. It's not quite a video. Um, it was actually uh, one of those things where you scroll. It's like seven or eight pages, and it's got like a little bit of music behind it. And it's pretty interesting. It says, couples therapists notice seven patterns in couples who, quote, made it. And before I go over those seven patterns, I found this video that kind of goes in correlation with that. So check this out. All right. Uh, Let's see here. Let me make sure I don't push the wrong button. Here we go. People don't want to hear this, but real relationships that lasts require a lot of forgiveness. You have to accept the fact that your partner is not perfect. They're going to hurt you. They're going to disappoint you. They're going to upset you. You just have to decide whether or not you're willing to go through the ups and downs with them because that is what love is all about. Yeah, I think that was, uh, I thought that was kind of a cool little video right there. You know, no, dismiss. I don't know why people decide to come on here on the live and try to get in, try to like think they can call in. We're going to deactivate the call in button. Uh, we do not accept calls on the live broadcast. And just like that, they just go away. It's so funny. People come in, they call in. It's like, what do you think you're going to accomplish? You come in to the show, the live broadcast for all but one second, and you hit the call-in button. What exactly do you wish to accomplish? You know, one of these days, I'm going to have a wild hair up my wazoo. I'm going to I'm gonna hit the accept call just to see, just to see what comes out of these people's mouths. But anyways, but, um, but yeah, I thought that was very, very interesting. But here is the seven patterns of, of you know, for couples, the, a couple therapists noticed seven patterns of couples that actually made it, meaning, you know, are doing well in life and basically are being successful in many different ways. Now, the first pattern is they have boundaries. They had boundaries with family. And it says right here, they put the relationship first and had clear boundaries with family. 
They didn't vent to them about issues or make decisions based on what their families wanted. They did what was best for their partnership together. And that is absolutely probably one of the biggest things I think that uh, could be taken away here because as we just got done kind of watching Everybody Loves Raymond, you know, because we that's kind of like a one of those um, simple sitcoms that we usually just sit down while we're eating dinner sometimes if we, you know, retreat to the basement. You know, you see a lot of uh, issues there that clearly have no boundaries, especially when it comes to Deborah and Raymond's mom. If, uh, if you've ever watched that show, there's definitely a lack of boundaries. But that's just it. You put boundaries around people, you know, outside of your four walls. And we make decisions and work out our issues in within those four walls. We don't go to those family members and vent and all the other stuff and, and make decisions based on what our extended family wants. I, I think that's a pretty important one. The second pattern here uh, that couples therapists uh, discovered is they were friends, right? People, the men and women, right? The married couples that are get together, they are friends and they genuinely enjoy spending time with each other. Um. And they are excited to come home and catch up after a long day. Friendship was the basis of their relationship. This I would happen to agree with because when I get done with my day, most of the time, I would say 98.9% of the times, I'm pretty excited to come home. Well, Jason, what about the other small percentage? Well, those would be the days when my daughter and my wife are having World War Eight, and they want to kill each other. <laughs> I puts up the the emoji face with the hourglass with the uh, little monocle glass over. <laughs> I knew she'd have something to say about that. Um, the third one was they had been through really dark times. It says right here that they had been through really difficult periods where they were, you know, they were at a crossroads. And even had second thoughts, but they chose to stay together and work through it. They established this established trust. I would happen to agree with this one as well. The next one is they let each other be themselves. There was a base level of respect and admiration for each other, then a desire to change each other. And this freedom brought out the best parts of each of them. And I would say this is 100% true as well. Um, the next one is the next pattern is it says right here, they had difficult conversations and they communicated regularly and were open to each other's perspectives. They didn't cope by avoiding or denying and emotional regulation was present. So conversations rarely became explosions. I would definitely agree with this as well. Uh, let's see here. And then the next one is it says right here, they fought they fought. They got in on each other's nerves. They fought and were frustrated with each other at times, but they knew how to navigate conflict, bounce back, and then move forward. And then I believe this is the last one. Yeah, the last one is they made light of each other's quirks. They appreciated and acknowledged the quirks of each other, even if they were at times annoying. And they made light of them and were never hypercritical. I would agree with all this. I would absolutely agree with all this. Um, so anyways, but yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting, you know, when my, my, when my, my wife sent that, because that seems about like most of, you know, I would say all these patterns uh, in some form or fashion, I would say we, we display a lot of this actually, you know, we definitely have boundaries with family. Uh, we are friends, you know, I have, I absolutely enjoy, you know, coming home after work 
In fact, it's my like my little mecca. You know, when I have a crappy day at work, I, I just can't rush home fast enough. You know, I'm not a guy that goes to the bar. I'm not a guy that wants to go golfing. Um, yes, while I, while I do enjoy fishing, you know, I don't really desire to go out with the guys and spend a weekend away fishing. It's just I don't know for some reason that's just not my cup of tea. You know, I could do that at the cottage and spend time with the family at the same time. Uh, we let each other be ourselves. There's no doubt about that. We are definitely ourselves. Um, but yes, we've had difficult conversations, not pleasant ones, but they, you know, we had them and yes, we fought and we do make light of each other's quirks. I would say we have done and exhibit all these. So anyways, uh, but yeah, I just thought that was kind of really important to share because again, you know, Satan does nothing more than try to break up the family. And how do you break up the family? You break up mom and dad first. And so what Satan tries to do is he tries to make fights, explosive fights, right? Ones where you say hurtful things and, and almost things you can't take back and tries to get you to say things that, you know, um, he tries to get you to say things that eventually turn into action. He tries to take those quirks and really tries to get them to be like, he tries to dig at you with them, right? And then he tries to get you to avoid those difficult conversations, right? So you do have that explosion moment, right? I mean, this is how Satan works, right? And he wants you to have more dark times and he does not want you to grow stronger because of it. He wants you to grow weaker in the dark times. And yeah, like my wife was saying right here, he tried to break us and almost did, but God protected us and we overcame Satan. And at that point, that's when we say, not today, Satan, get behind us. In fact, get behind us and go back to hell. But anyways, um, so another news today, um, I saw this earlier today. This was on the Citizens Free Press. I think it was on True Social. I saw this pop up as a headline. Um, an honor guard collapses on live TV in front of the casket on live TV um, in front of the casket of Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. Um, I can't really quite tell to see exactly how old this guy looks um i think i think i grabbed i do believe i have the audio to this let me see on the highest court in the land and america the body of late supreme court justice sandra day o'connor you're seeing there lying in repose in the court's great hall the public now has a chance to say goodbye oh oh looks like um so we're just watching this live with you um and we had a moment here where someone who is coming uh, appears up was it one of the honor, one of the honor guard okay yeah. it looks like it was one of the security details of honor guard that was standing there who has collapsed um we're gonna yikes yeah you know i wonder <clears throat> i wonder if that if that gentleman happened to have uh you know undergone the COVID shot you know, because that's what we typically are seeing a lot of with uh, news anchors and sports stars, right? People who are sh who should be in tip top, not shape are just suddenly collapsing and dying. Now, I don't know the status of this honor guard, so I don't know if he passed away or if he's in critical condition or what the what the deal was. But that, again, is another display of somebody just collapsing on live TV. It's really sad. So. I hope he's all right. Um, I was actually just out of curiosity because I rarely ever go on the Gateway Pundit or any other news, but I was just kind of like going through 
um, some of the, you know, just headlines on the Gateway Pundit. And I see right here, so this is kind of interesting. This is by, uh, an article by David Grayson. Um, says right here, second drill sergeant found dead at Fort Jackson in just over a week. I wonder what that's all about. Yeah, second drill sergeant found dead at Fort Jackson in, in a week. Um, here's another headline I find interesting. I've been thinking about this lately. So this headline says, Japanese firm to acquire U.S. steel for almost $15 billion. National security and labor concerns rise as iconic American company changes hands. You know what I find interesting? So there is a Japanese company um, also, uh, 7-Eleven, as a matter of fact. So 7-Eleven bought all the Speedway gas stations that you see across the country. 7-Eleven bought Speedways. Um, I've been noticing uh, there's been some German company that has bought up a few ethanol and natural gas plants here in America. Um, there, I think the company, I believe the company that my mom works for her company got bought up by some company, uh, foreign based company. I want to say out of Ireland or Scotland, I don't know, somewhere over there in Europe, but I've been noticing this, that there's a lot of, there's a lot of foreign companies that are buying up American based companies and i'm wondering what is going on here now it could be nothing i don't know it could be nothing but i just find it kind of interesting um let's see what else is here what else is here i'm just kind of just doing a quick oh what is this pope francis approval of priest blessings for gay couples sensible move or radical divisive push question mark um yeah i would say it's a radical divisive push Folks, if you haven't figured it out by now, the Vatican is anything but your friend, okay? It's just nothing but one evil Babylonian whore. And I'm pretty sure the book of Revelations uh, discusses, you know, basically this as such. Uh, it, this is ridiculous. The, the I mean, this shouldn't surprise anybody, really. But yeah, that's, uh, that's very interesting. Um, oh, yeah, I saw this on Telegram. Now, I don't know how true this is. But you remember the video series, uh, Fall of the Cabal, right? The Fall of the Cabal. So I guess the woman who narrates that, or the filmmaker, um, Janet Ospard, I believe her name is, the filmmaker known for that document series, The Fall of the Cabal. Uh, for, now, again, I don't know if this is true, but um, from what I saw, what hit the wires today, is she has tragically died by suicide after being reported missing for weeks. That is very, very interesting, but also it's very sad. So I wonder what happened there. A very, very sad story. If that's true, I hope that's not true, but, um, yeah, just, ugh. but, uh, yeah, I agree with Destry though. Uh, the Vatican is a viper den. It is a viper den. Um, <clears throat> what else was I going to read? Hold on. I was just kind of scrolling real quick. Just, yeah, let's see here. I think that was it. I think that's all we had. Yeah, I don't really pay too much of, uh, I don't pay much attention to the news much anymore these days just because it's either junk or junk or more junk. So. What is this update? Reckless driver who crashed 
<laughs> what? A reckless driver who crashed into Biden's motorcade, identified and charged with DUI. What the hell? <laughs> okay, you got uh, okay. Oh, funny. Just as I read it, it like scroll, it like disappeared on me. No, give me a break. You can't sit here and tell me that if a driver, I don't care, drunk or sober, if a driver crashed, first off, let me ask you a question, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, we're talking about the president, supposedly, right? This, this is right here, in my opinion, another red pill moment. You're telling me we have a man by the name of Joseph Robinette Biden who is supposedly president of the United States corporation in his motorcade. You're telling me that there was a reckless driver who crashed into Biden's motorcade and he was only charged with the DUI. Shut the hell up. Come on. Does anybody buy that? Really? Really? I'm surprised he's not charged with a terrorist activity. I mean, you crash into a presidential, if it was a real president, by the way, a presidential motorcade, you would be thrown away forever. You would be thrown away forever. That's just crazy. That just goes to show you that's President Biden is not the real president. He's just some man in a mask, you know, so there you go. Um, but anyway, so there you go. I think we're done with the gateway pundit. It's just a bunch of noise. I wasted enough of your time reading all those nonsensical, uh, articles. So anyway, so yeah, what I'm going to do, um, I apologize that there was no podcast for you guys uh, to, to download today. I did do one yesterday, but then when I went to go and listen to it today, oh yeah, it was, the audio was completely corrupted and just sounded like garbage for some reason. The settings on Podbean decided to capture the audio through the stupid microphone on the computer. So it sounded like I was in a bathroom, you know, it just sounded real echoey and like I was in a tin can. It was amazing. I was like, oh, this, is, this is great. So I deleted it. Um, I'm, you know, so I was like, well, we're just going to redo it again, I guess. So today we are going to be doing a reading out of Matthew chapter 10, and then we'll continue the reading of that millennium report uh, regarding the missing 13th amendment. Now, Starting with verse 1, New King James Version Bible, as we're talking about the 12 apostles. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus. Simon, the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot. Iscariot I don't know why. I always have a hard time uh, pronouncing Judas's last name, but uh, who also betrayed him. Now the 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag your journey, nor 
two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to it. And whoever will receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and the Gentiles. Uh, Hold on one second, folks. I'm sorry. Sorry about that, folks. Hold on. My throat is really, really dry, and my water here is just about out. And so I was just sending my wife a text if she can send the kid in uh, with uh, my other bottle of lemon water. <laughs> so sorry about that. But okay. Um, but when they, but when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver a brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. And when they persecute you in the city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher, and his servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house of Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Now we get into the part where Jesus teaches the fear of God. So starting with verse 27. So whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more value, you have, you are of more value than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. 
And he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And he who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. And that is the reading of Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 42. Excuse me while I take another sip. Throat is really dry today. And that is all I got for my water right there. I am bone dry now. So, so when reflecting on these verses, excuse me, I would say we should consider the essence of empowerment that's being displayed here and the purpose and the cost of discipleship. Jesus, in his extraordinary act of empowerment, Uh, bestowed upon ordinary men, right? Ordinary men um, gave them the profound ability to heal and herald the imminent arrival of God's kingdom. And this divine commission, however, arrived hand in hand with a specific directive and to concentrate their efforts primarily among their own community. Now, this emphasis wasn't merely a geographic confinement, but a deliberate focus on the hearts and souls of their people. Now, in the middle of this mission, Jesus instructed them against the pursuit of material wealth. Hold on one second, guys. I think my water is being delivered. Thanks, kiddo. Appreciate it. Oh, here, you want here? Come, you can come say hi to everybody. Hi, everybody. It's me, Haven. Say, I hope you have a good night. I hope you all have a good night and a Merry Christmas if I don't see you. Oh, good job. All right. Thanks for the water. Goodbye. <laughs> oh, she's a cutie. All right. Now I have another another bottle of lemon water. Limon. But uh, again, but uh, Jesus urged instead, okay, because again, he instructed them, don't go after material wealth. So what did he do instead? He urged them to have a reliance, right? Rely on God's provision as you travel in your paths, okay? Don't store up wealth. Don't rely on your wealth. Rely on God is basically what he's saying. Sharing that transformative message entrusted to them. And this directive, which is far from being a limitation, served as a liberation of sorts, right? Uh, It's like a release from the entanglement of earthly treasures. And this is a tough thing, as we have talked about in the past, a very tough thing for a lot of people to do. Because we have been, we've had it ingrained in our minds for so long. Because of the system, this matrix that we've lived in, that we need to have things in order to be happy. And it's more things that's going to give us fulfillment. When in reality, the Bible is telling us and Jesus is telling us, no, get away from all of these things. Put your trust in God. 
Again, it is a liberation and a release of the entanglements of these earthly possessions, emphasizing the richness that's found in spreading the spiritual wealth of God's kingdom. Now, this call to prioritize their own people and rely on divine provision underscores the profound nature of the mission. Well, what's the mission? See, it wasn't just about performing miracles. It wasn't about nurturing a spiritual awakening or cultivating a consciousness of God's imminent presence among their community. What this was about was, you know, Jesus instilling a sense of purpose, urging people to recognize that true wealth lays not in what they could amass for themselves, but in the divine blessings that God gives that they could also impart to others. And so in sending these disciples out and sending them out, Jesus cautioned about the challenges that they would face. He told them, look, you're going to be persecuted. And there's going to come a point where the necessity of enduring faith, you know, in the middle of fam you know, family divisions, you're going to deal with that. You're going to deal with son turning against father and father against son. And he underscored the value of prioritizing loyalty to God over family ties and possessions. Again, that's why we always say here on this podcast, God always comes first. God, family, country. The God, God Almighty comes first ahead of all things, ahead of my wife, ahead of my daughter, ahead of anybody else in my family, ahead of me. God always has to come first. then the family, and then country. Notice I did not put possessions in that list. I've learned the hard way. Possessions do not fill that void in your heart. Look, you're talking to a guy who's owned two brand new Mustangs and a brand new pickup truck. I've had a lot of cool toys. Guess what? Still felt empty owning these things. Still felt empty. Didn't, wasn't, didn't, <laughs> that void that I had in my heart never got fulfilled. So I can resonate what Jesus is, you know, talking about here. Give up the worldly possessions and rely on the provisions of God. He's got you. He's got our backs, guys. That should make you smile ear to ear. And Christ also urged a fearless proclamation of his teachings because he highlighted the need to fear God above worldly threats and promised acknowledgement of those who stand for him. And yet this commitment might sow division even within families, reflecting the polarizing impact of those choosing allegiance to Christ. I mean, he basically said right there, what was it? Verse 30, what was it? Verse 34. Do not think that, and, and make no, excuse me, make no mistake, folks. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. But what he's saying right here in this verse 34, do not think I came to bring peace on earth. Even though he is the Prince of Peace, that he is. What he's talking about is that, because he says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Because he knows that the things that he's teaching, it goes against societal norms. And he knew that people were going to be divided within their own household. 
because of his teachings. This whole passage ultimately culminates with a poignant message and even small acts of kindness and hospitality towards those you know, representing Christ hold immense value in the eyes of God. And so reflecting on these words, one is challenged to uh, contemplate the depth of commitment to their faith, the inherent sacrifices, and the profound significance of every action, no matter how seemingly insignificant when aligned with the teachings of Christ. The call to prioritize spiritual values over worldly attachments resonates, inviting introspection into what it truly means to live a life guided by faith. Again, do not hang your hat on things or silver or money or guns or whatever. Just trust in God that each and every day he's got our back. And don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough worries for itself. We don't need to worry about tomorrow. Let God worry about tomorrow, not us. We don't need to worry about it. That's why I that's why when it comes to investing, the money that we earn in this household, we use to invest in our family, to make memories, to enjoy the love that we share with each other. Because again, we're not promised tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen. What are we going to do? Keep worrying about tomorrow and keep, you know. Uh, you know, again, I'm not saying don't plan, don't invest. I'm not saying any of that because remember, I'm not a financial advisor. But what I'm saying is don't forget to live life and live in the moment and share what Jesus is truly trying to teach here with other people. Don't get engrossed or in, or engulfed, I should say, not engrossed, but engulfed with the crap of this world because that's exactly what it is. It's crap. Well, Jason, I don't know. A brand new car off the lot doesn't look like crap to me. No, not at first. It's nice and shiny and polished. But guess what? Give it about 15, 20 years. It's eventually going to turn to crap. Always does. So anyways, so let's get into the missing 13th Amendment. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a quick little break. I will be right back. I'm going to take another huge, heavy sip of water. And I will be right back. So I'm reading the Millennium Report. Again, you can go to um, national-assembly.net. You go into the forums page. You scroll down to uh, old historical documents. You click on that and you uh, scroll down a little bit more. You should be able to find, I think it's like number four or number five down on the list, the missing 13th Amendment. So that's where I'm finding this, uh, this Millennium Report. Good stuff. It's actually really good stuff. I like it. It's been a good read so far. So I'm on page 29 of 43, where they're talking about the arguments about the 13th Amendment. So 
It goes on to say, imagine a nation which prohibited at least some lawyers from serving in government. And imagine a government prohibited from writing laws, granting honors or special, you know, special privileges, immunities or advantages to individuals, groups or government officials. And imagine a government that could only write laws that apply to everyone, uh, you know, even themselves equally. It's never been done before, not once, and but it has been tried. So in 1810, the Congress of the United States proposed the 13th Amendment to the Constitution that might have given us just that sort of equality and political paradise. Now, the story begins again in 1983 when David Dodge and Tom Dunn, right, those researchers, and they discovered an 1825 edition of the Maine Civil Code, which contained the U.S. Constitution and a 13th Amendment, which no longer appears on the Constitution. And again, if you need a refresher, it states, if any citizen of the United States shall accept, claim, receive, retain any title of nobility or honor, or shall without the consent of Congress accept, retain, and retain any present pension, office, or emolument of any kind, whatever, from any emperor, king, prince, or foreign power, such person shall cease to be a citizen of the United States and shall be incapable of holding any office of trust or profit under them or either of them. So this amendment would have restricted at least some lawyers from serving in government and would prohibit legislators from passing any special interest legislation and tax breaks and special immunities from anyone, not even for themselves. And it might have guaranteed a level of political equality in this nation that most people can't even imagine. Now, since 1983, researchers have uncovered evidence that the 13th Amendment prohibiting titles of nobility and honors appeared in at least 30 editions of the Constitution of the United States, which were printed by at least 14 states or territories between 1819 and 1867. And this amendment quietly disappeared from the Constitution near the end of the Civil War. Well, gee, I wonder why that is. And either this amendment was unratified and mistakenly published for almost 50 years or ratified in 1819 and then illegally removed from the Constitution in 1867. I highly doubt that a bunch of states mistakenly published this amendment for 50 years being unratified. I highly doubt it. You can't sit there and tell me that this went on for 50 years being published on public record, on historical documents, unratified? No, I don't buy it. Now, if this 13th Amendment was unratified and mistakenly published, then the story has remained unnoticed in American history for over a century. And if so, it's at least a good story. And it's an extraordinary historical anecdote. Now, on the other hand, if Dodge is right and the amendment was truly ratified, which I think it was, an amendment has been subverted from our Constitution, and if so, this missing amendment would still be the law, and this story could be one of the most important stories in American history. And whatever the answer, it's certain that something extraordinary happened to our Constitution between 1819 and 1867. Now, what are the pros and cons for ratification? So, of course, there are two sides to this issue. Now, David Dodge, the principal researcher, argues that this 13th Amendment was ratified in 1819 
and then it was subverted from the Constitution near the end of the Civil War. Now, U.S. Senator George Mitchell of Maine and Mr. Dane Hartgrove, acting assistant chief civil reference branch of the National Archives, have argued that the amendment was never properly ratified and only published in error. And this is some agreement. Both sides, or I should say there is some agreement, because both sides agree that the amendment was proposed by Congress in 1810. So at least we got that agreement. And both sides also agree that the proposed amendment required the support of at least 13 states to be ratified. Okay, we're there too. All right, we're good. And both sides agree that between 1810 and 1812, 12 states voted to support ratification. Now, here's the pivotal issue. And that issue was whether Virginia ratified or rejected that proposed amendment. Now, Dodge contends that Virginia voted to support the amendment in 1819. And so the amendment was truly ratified and should be still part of our Constitution. But see, Senator Mitchell and Mr. Hartgrove disagree because they argue that Virginia did not ratify. Well, unfortunately, several decades of Virginia's legislative journals were misplaced or destroyed conveniently during the Civil War and also possibly during the 1930s. Gee, what else was trying to be uh, disappeared in that time when FDR was president? Oh, that's right. Field Training Manual 2000-25. Isn't it funny, folks, how there's certain people in a de facto corporate, you know, governing system where they try to just, you know, disappear these documents. Isn't that just so interesting that these scumbags who are holding office, sitting in our seats, the people's seats, unlawfully conveniently try to misplace, burn, or destroy public records that would prevent them from holding power? Hmm. Hmm. And consequently, neither side has found absolute proof that the Virginia legislature voted for or against ratification. So there was a series of letters that was exchanged in 1991 between uh, David Dodge and Senator Mitchell and Mr. Hartgrove, and it illuminates the various points of disagreement. Now, after Dodge's initial report of a missing amendment in 1825 Maine Civil Code, Senator Mitchell explained that this addition was a one-time publishing error. And he says that the Maine legislature mistakenly printed the proposed amendment in the Maine Constitution as having been adopted. And as you know, this was a mistake as it was not ratified, end quote. Ah, I tell you what, I bet you, I bet you Mr. Mitchell was a bar card holding scumbag. I mean, attorney, how much you want to bet? I'd place money on that. And uh, again, further, all editions of, and this is what he says, and I quote, all editions of Maine Constitution printed after 1820 exclude the proposed amendment, only the original contained this error. Now, Dodge dug deeper and found the editions. There are 30 to date and state and territorial civil codes that contain the missing amendment and thereby demonstrated that the Maine publication was not a one-time publishing error. Yes, Virginia, there is a ratification because after examining Dodge's evidence of multiple publications of the missing amendment, Senator Mitchell and Mr. Hartgrove conceded 
the amendment had been published by several states and was ratified by 12 of the 17 states in the union in 1810. However, because the constitution requires that three quarters of the states vote to ratify an amendment, Mitchell and Hartgrove insisted that the 13th amendment was published in error because it was passed by only 12, not 13 states. But Dodge investigated which 17 states were in the union at that time the amendment was proposed and which states had ratified, which states had rejected the amendment and determined that the issue hung on whether one last state being Virginia had or had not voted to ratify. So after several years of searching the Virginia state archive, David Dodge made a crucial discovery. Spring of 1991, he found a misplaced copy of the 1819 Virginia Civil Code, which included the missing 13th Amendment. Now, Dodge notes that, curiously, there is no public record that shows this book. And the 1819 Virginia Civil Code exists, and it is not cataloged as a holding of the Library of Congress, nor is it in a National Union catalog. Now, neither the state law library nor the law school in Portland were able to find any trace of this book exist in any of their computer programs. Well, that's pretty convenient. And Dodge sent photocopies of the 1819 Virginia Civil Code to Senator Mitchell and Mr. Hartgrove and explained that under legislative construction, it is considered prima facie evidence that what is published as the official acts of a legislature are the official acts. And by publishing the amendment as ratified in an official publication, Virginia demonstrated that they, and this is what they did, knew they were the last state whose vote was necessary to ratify this 13th Amendment, had voted to ratify the amendment, and were publishing the amendment in a special edition of their civil code as an official notice to the world that the amendment had indeed been ratified. Let me, re let me rephrase that. Boy, that just sounded beautiful. Virginia knew. Listen up, folks. Again. This is exactly what the reassembly of states do when they put out public notice. Now listen, Virginia knew that they were the last state whose vote was necessary to ratify this 13th Amendment. And they voted to ratify the amendment. And they were, and were publishing the amendment in a special edition of their civil code as an official Notice to the world that the amendment had indeed been ratified. Oh, boom. And Dodge concluded that unless there is competing evidence to this contrary, to the contrary, it must be held that the Constitution for the United States of America was officially amended to exclude from its body of citizens any who accepted or claimed a title of nobility or accepted any special favors. Foremost in this category of ex-citizens are bankers and lawyers. Now, undeterred, Senator Mitchell wrote that Article 8 did not receive the three-fourths vote required from the states within the time limited to be ratified. Now, although his language is imprecise, Senator Mitchell seems to concede that although the amendment had failed to satisfy the time limit, the required three-quarters of the states did vote to ratify. Now, Dodd replies, well, contrary to your assertion, 
There was no time limit for amendment ratification in 1811. Any time limit is now established by Congress in the resolve for proposed amendments. So, in fact, ratification time limits didn't start until 1917. So, basically, what he's trying to say is, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, well, there may have been 13 states, but guess what? They didn't do it in time. That's what he's trying to say. Well, guess what? There was no time limits uh, imposed until 1917. This was, and, and this ratification happened in the early 1800s. What the hell is he trying to pull here? You see how they keep trying to move the goalpost? The minute you make one in, they have to pick it up and move it somewhere else to try to get you to miss something. See, this should be right here. This is exactly what a typical liberal Democrat tries to do. You give them proof of something and you show them evidence, then they have to move the goalposts and say, nope, 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 nope. We're not accepting that now because there's this thing that we have to consider now. And there's this this rule we have to look at now. Uh, you're, you're wrong. You're wrong. You see how that bull crap works? And so, in fact, ratification time limits, again, did not start. And I'm going to repeat it. Time limits did not start until 1917. So when Section 3 of the 18th Amendment stated that this article shall be inoperative unless it shall have been ratified within seven years from the date of submission and to the states by Congress, a similar time limit is now included on other proposed amendments. But there was no specified time limit when the 13th Amendment was proposed in 1810 or ratified in 1819, nearly 100 years earlier from this stupid time limit uh whatever and senator mitchell remained determined to find some rationale somewhere right trying to pick for straws that would defeat dodge's persistence now although senator mitchell implicitly conceded that his published by error and time limit arguments were invalid he continued to grope for reasons to dispute the ratification it's like my god dude just give up already Okay, you're a bar scumbag card holding lawyer. You cannot hold a seat in Congress or anywhere in public office. You are deemed incapable. Just pick up your bags and move back to your foreign power that you sworn your allegiance to. Just shut the hell up and move on. You cannot hold office in America and subvert the American people. You can't do it. Get out of here. You scumbag you. Gosh almighty. Like, I just can't stand this Senator Mitchell. He sounds like an idiot. And regardless of whether the state of Virginia did ratify the proposed 13th Amendment on March 12, 1819, this approval would not have been sufficient to amend the Constitution. Now, in 1819, there were 21 states in the United States and any amendment that would have required approval of 16 states to amend the Constitution. So according to your own research, Virginia would have only been the 13th state to approve the proposed amendment. Dodge replies, Article 5. Amendment procedures of the Constitution is silent on the question on whether or not that the framers meant three-fourths of the states at the time of the proposed amendment is submitted to the states for ratification or three-fourths of the states that exist at some future point in time. So since only the existing states were involved in the debate and vote of Congress and the resolve proposing an amendment, it is reasonable that ratification be limited to those states that took an act active part in the amendment process. So Dodge basically demonstrated here that this rationale by pointing out that President Monroe had his Secretary of State ask the governors of Virginia, South Carolina, and Connecticut in January of 1818 as to the status of the amendment in their respective states. And the four new states 
being Louisiana, Indiana, Mississippi, and Illinois, that were added to the Union between 1810 and 1818 were not even considered. So from a modern perspective, it seems strange that not all states would be included in the ratification process. But bear in mind that this perspective is based on life in a stable nation that's added only five new states in this century and about every 18 years. However, between 1803 and 1821, the 13th Amendment ratification drama unfolded and they added eight states, almost one state every two years. And this rapid national growth undoubtedly fostered national attitudes different from their own or our own, I should say. And the government had to be filled with the euphoria of a growing republic that expected to quickly add new states all the way to the Pacific Ocean and the Isthmus of Panama. And the government would not willingly compromise or complicate that growth potential with procedural obstacles. And to evolve every new state in each ongoing ratification could inadvertently slow the nation's growth. So, for example, if a territory petitioned to join the union while an amendment was being considered, its access to statehood might depend on whether the territory expected to ratify or reject a proposed amendment. So basically what it's saying here is, all right, well, Mr. State or, you know, uh, territory that wants to be a state. If you're going to be a state, we need to know where you stand on this whole 13th Amendment ordeal, because if you stand to support it and, and ratify it, um, we're just going to delay your statehood status. Yeah. Um, and we're going to make sure that this doesn't go through. That's basically what would happen if a territory wanted to become a state. They would delay. The approval process of that territory becoming a state. If you were going to ratify and vote for the amendment 13 see how that works that's dirty that's dirty business and so if the territory was again expected to ratify well guess what well uh officials who favored the amendment might try to accelerate the territory's entry right into the union on on that hand right because it goes both ways it could either ex expedite the process of approval or slow down depending on, you know, who the people were that were uh, making the approval for uh, a territory statehood. And these complications could, you know, unnecessarily slow the entry of the new states into the nation or restrict the nation's ability to pass new amendments. Now, neither possibility could appeal to politicians and whatever the reason, the House of Representatives resolved to ask only Connecticut, South Carolina, and Virginia for the decision on ratifying the 13th Amendment, and they did not ask for the decisions of the four new states. And since the new states had representatives in the House who did not protect, or excuse me, who did not protest when the resolve was passed, it's apparent that even the new states agreed that they should not be included in the ratification process. And so in 1818, the president the House of Representatives, the Secretary of State, and the four new, quote-unquote, states, and the 17 old states all clearly believe that the support of just 13 states was required to ratify the 13th Amendment. And that being so, Virginia's vote to ratify was legally sufficient to ratify the missing amendment in 1819 and would still be so today. And that is where I left off yesterday in yesterday's botched recording. And so I'm in page, where are we at? Page 36 of 43. So I would imagine that on the next part, part five, we should be able to conclude the reading of this missing uh, 13th Amendment. 
Uh, again, I find it very valuable info. I read it. I thought this was really worth uh, reading on the air for those who don't really uh, like reading, or maybe they might have not enough time to go and research this and read it. So, you know, figure we put it on a podcast here. So tomorrow we will continue with the insult to injury, page 36 of 43 on this missing 13th Amendment. Again, the Millennium Report. I love it, though. No lawyers allowed in public office. That is absolutely right. No lawyers allowed. So, very interesting stuff. Very interesting stuff. Very informative. And a very important piece of history that I think more people need to learn about. So, without further ado, I think this would be a perfect time to do a prayer. And then I got one last audio clip I want to play for you. All right, so let's get into the prayer. Oh, wait a minute. What am I playing here? What is this? What is this? That's not what I wanted to play. There we go. This is what I want to play for the prayer. All right, gracious God, Heavenly Father, who empowers us with the purpose and strength, and as we gather here, we reflect on the teachings of your son Jesus and his commissioning of the 12 apostles or the disciples, ordinary yet chosen to heal, to proclaim, and to endure amidst trials and tribulations. And we ask that you grant us the strength to embrace our mission, to spread the kindness, to spread the healing and the message of hope. We ask, may we be like these disciples and find courage in the middle of adversity and remain steadfast in our faith despite challenges that we face. And teach us to prioritize your will above worldly ties and to hold dear the values of love, compassion, and peace, Guide us in our choices that we may boldly confess and live out our faith in every step we take. May our actions, however small, echo your love in offering kindness, hospitality, and understanding. Grant us the wisdom to discern and, and the grace to follow. And Lord, help us be vessels of your divine light. In the moments of doubt, fear, and division, we ask that you remind us that though is that through you that we find strength and resilience and may our lives reflect the profound depth of faith as we journey seeking to live in accordance with your grace and we also pray for all those who are dealing with health issues and marital issues and financial woes we just pray that you can hear the prayers of all these people who are screaming from the silence of their hearts and we pray all of this in your Holy Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen, ladies and gentlemen. So, one last audio clip before we wrap it up. If I can find it, I just got to scroll down to find it. Where are you? There we go. I heard this today. And I felt that it was also another piece of wise uh, information to put out there. And for those of you that it might resonate with, awesome. If it doesn't resonate, okay, maybe we'll try again tomorrow with another piece of audio. <laughs> Give this a listen to. I like this. If you want to change your life, start by changing yourself. You have the power to change your situation. Trust yourself. Believe in your abilities and take that first step. Without pain and sacrifice, we would not have success. Everyone must choose one of two pains, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. The choice is yours. I like that. We have two pains to choose from, the pain of regret, right? 
the pain of regret or the pain of discipline. That's why we need to, again, we need to be disciplined in our lives in all areas, right? Health, uh, prioritizing family, right? Our own four walls, making sure that we're always there for our family, prioritizing God. Uh, But in all of that, we also need to prioritize our country. We need to prioritize talking to people and spreading the true information about what is happening in our country. I mean, again, like that article that I read earlier today, you telling me that somebody drove into Biden's motorcade and he just got charged with a DUI? Really? That's it? Give me a break. You know darn well if that was actually Trump's motorcade. I mean, today, modern day, commander in chief's Trump, you know, Trump motorcade. More than likely, he would not have just gotten away with just the DUI. So anyways, but um, we need to reassemble. This is why it's so important that we get that information out there. If you want to know how to get involved in your assembly, you can go to uh, national-assembly.net, go to the forums, scroll down, find your state, and start getting involved in the chat there. Or you can get involved in the national call. The National Assembly call occurs every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And if you want to get in touch with somebody in your state, you can email me at hishardline at gmail.com. And what I will do is I will forward your information to Destry. He will get you hopefully in contact with um, a communication secretary for your respective state, if there is one. And if there is not one, well, maybe you should be the one to take the charge on uh, grabbing the bull by the horns and getting your state assembly started. We need 38 states. What did we read here? With regards to the ratification of the 13th Amendment, they needed three quarters of the states to ratify that amendment, which they got with Virginia. Three quarters of the states at that time was 13 out of 17 states. Well, guess what? We need 38 out of 50 states. That's three quarters of the states. If you want to flex your muscle as we the people... We need to have 38 states. Sometimes I feel like a a CD or a song skipping on repeat. You need to reassemble your states. You need to reassemble your states. We need to reassemble your states. I mean, seriously, I sound like a freaking dying parrot here. But see, I can't I can't go on the other side of this computer or on your phone or whatever device you're listening to this broadcast on. I can't grab you by the hand and drag you down to some of your close people in your circles and make you have these conversations. I can't force you to pick up the phone and and you know cold call people and say, hey. You need to be part of an assembly, okay? We need to reassemble our states. I can't make you do that. I can't make you look for an opportunity in conversations when people are complaining about what the hell is going on in our country. I can't make you search out those opportunities to insert 
what the reassembly of states is and what and how that will remedy the problems that we are seeing today. If we ever expect to be a nation that's self-governed by ourselves, because we are the largest form of government, we the people, if we ex ever expect to be self-governed, we need to put this information out there. But see, if you're not willing to put the information out there and, and just talk to people, I mean, forget about holding an office in the assembly or whatever. If you're not just willing to talk to people, then what are we doing? You might as well just go grab your bag of pop, your bucket of popcorn and go sit on the sidelines and just watch li life pass you by and watch the tyrants take over your life by, you know, trying to overreach because make no mistake. They, there is still some aspects of the de facto that's still trying to trespass into our lives. Do you want that? Do you like having that boot on your throat, that boot of oppression and tyranny? Do you like having these people usurp their powers? Do you like the idea of your children growing up in a potential country of 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 you know a possible you know possibly fallen by communism i sure as hell don't yes god gave us two ears and one mouth and while it is important to listen it is equally as important to speak truth about what it is so anyways, with that, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you all have a great day, great night, wherever you're at in the world, and we will see you back here next time. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, remember, ladies and gentlemen, we are firm, we are steadfast, and we are uncompromising. The enemy has crossed that line for the last time. It is up to people like you and I to hold that line. They've crossed the line way too many times, and it is time for us to stand up this republic and get after it. We gotta do this for God. We gotta do this for our families. We gotta do this for America, for the voiceless. It's time to get after it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining the show.
don't forget to check out the website, www.hisheartline.com. And if you want to know more about how to get involved with your assembly, go to www.national-assembly.net. That's www.national-assembly.net. It's time to get active, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go. Joining us here at His Heart Line. We'll see you back here next time.